Hey everyone, this is John Davidson with another DLC Drop podcast, this time with my friend Jason Hines. I met Jason when he was at Red Bull. He's an incredible marketer, incredible storyteller, super inspiring leader as well. He's going to talk a lot about that in this episode. He's also going to give some nuggets on mentorship and restarting your career when you're in a rut. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Jason Hines, my good friend, thank you for joining me on the DLC Drop Podcast. We have a lot of conversations one-on-one, and so it's such a pleasure to have a conversation with you here on the podcast for our audience. Man, it's good to be here. It's, it's kind of crazy how many different conversations we've had about all sorts of worldly things. And now we get to actually have one for real and uh, talk about some things that matter. So I'm pretty excited about it. Heck yeah. And I've learned a lot from you. Uh, you've been a really inspirational figure in my career. And so I know you have a lot of knowledge to drop on our audience. You know, I want to take our audience back to where we first met. I'm trying to think of exactly when it was. Was it at the Dallas Mavericks headquarters when we met for the first yes, time? Yes, it was. When it we met was. in person, right? Dallas Mavericks headquarters. Yeah. You were sitting on the couch out front uh, waiting for the meeting to start, walked in and we, we both recognized each other's voices and we were like, all right, greatness someday. Someday. <laughs> so, let's get at it. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was a great moment because they were launching one of the first, one of the uh, NBA 2K league franchises year one. I was having a lot of conversations with Anthony Morocco, who was there at the time. It was kind of a dream for me, being a huge basketball fan, being a a 2K fan, to go there and have these discussions. And they said, yeah, we we got Red Bull. We're pulling in. And we had a pretty, I want to say, ambitious title release goal that we were going to do something together there. And that didn't, didn't quite shake out with a number of logistics. But from there, I think the two of us kind of recognized the energy and it was like, Hey, this is something that we can do together. And then, and then you said, Hey John, let me make you look good at GameStop HQ. Let me bring some Red Bull for all the employees. How many employees do you have there? And I said, 1300. (laughs) And you're like, Oh, let me make a call. And then you called me right back and you said, Let's do this. And we gave out 800 cans of Red Bull at GameStop HQ that day. Absolutely. It it was kind of like when we first met, it was a little bit of ambition is contagious, but passion is dangerous. (laughs) So we were like, all right, Leo, let's let's try to keep this under wraps. Let's see what we can do. We were super ambitious for that first go around with launching that with Anthony. And then from there, we just realized like, okay, harnessed passion is exactly where it needs to be. And we're just going to keep driving until we get something. And, you know, the very first thing I saw was, all right, you know, you guys are working long hours over at GameStop and you guys are grinding and you need, you need a win to look like a hero. So, you know, let me get you some cans in there and, you know, accomplish our goals, accomplish our consumer collecting team's goals and obviously kept, kept you guys well fueled up. Absolutely. And I, I guess I should mention too, if anybody's ever seen any of the the content I do from my home office, I have a Red Bull fridge in my office and that's actually from Jason. So shout out for the the dope brand alignment there, raise it, helping me raise the bar and raise my energy level throughout the day. <laughs> we got to keep you with wings. <laughs> heck yeah. Heck yeah. So Jason, you're someone who you spent 10 years with Red Bull. You're this amazing storyteller, amazing marketer. Um, I'm always learning so much from you. But to go back to the start of your career, if I understand it right, you had a pretty unorthodox career start. Why don't you take us back and tell us how that got you started? Yeah, no, it was, I was going to school back down in Miami. I was a kid who grew up in Chicago and then lo and behold, went to school in Miami when my parents had moved there. And winter time, seeing people just skating around with no shirts on and just like, it was kind of blowing me away that winter does not exist here. So I, I fell into the skate scene back then it was early nineties. So it was the rollerblading scene as well as uh, mountain biking and just anything on wheels, just cruising yep. around. So fell on some hard times, had to drop out of school and work full time. And I started working at a skate shop down in Miami beach. And there were a lot of kids that were coming from underprivileged means. Like they just mm. didn't have the ability to be a part of it. I also at the same time had a bunch of friends who were really good skaters 
and I was really not good. So I kind of looking at my highest, best use, I was like, all right, you know, my dad's got tools in the garage. I can head over to Pops's house, build a ramp, go you know, save up some money, buy a megaphone, and maybe we could do some shows on the boardwalk over here and raise some money and be able to buy nice. these kids some gear. So that is, that's literally how my career started was, you know, peddling out, you know, tricks from a megaphone to tourists and, you know, had a helmet on the ground collecting money and, you know, using that to buy gear for the kids that couldn't afford it. So, wow. So that's super entrepreneurial. Do you, did your parents have an entrepreneurial background or was that just kind of how you were wired? No, it was, I mean, I tell you what, the wiring of it was so much more about people. I didn't make money. Never got a chance to make money. <laughs> Spent way money. more money on. You didn't make money on a <laughs> megaphone calling out skateboard tricks with a helmet on the ground. I'm shocked. No, no, it was uh, because it went from you know like we're uh, calling out the, the tricks and then we're getting the money. We're buying gear. We've got money left over. Okay, let's go to McDonald's. Okay, cool. Let me go buy you guys some cool gear for school. And you know it was something where it was so much more about the people. Yeah. And I really believed that they were coming from a place where they didn't have an opportunity to achieve greatness, but mm -hmm. they had the talent and they were able to. So I wanted to facilitate that and, you know, be broke at the same time. That was a lesson I learned later on is that, you know, I can make a living doing things like that. But at the time it was more so about the people. That's it's crazy at the coincidence here, because what opened my eyes to business, honestly, was a time at a skate shop as well. But I wasn't working at the skate shop. I skated for the skate shop and I would go hang out there between community college classes. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but I was actually going to become a welder. And that's probably super random, but I was signing up for all these welding classes that I was going to start my first semester of college. I used to always go hang out at the skate shop between classes and they were so busy this one day. They said, John, can you go back to the board wall, the skateboard wall and just help people pick out skateboards? Well, I had no idea how much I knew about skateboards until I started selling them. And people who skate know this. I mean, a skateboard is very intricate. It's seven plies. The, you know, an eighth of an inch on a skateboard makes the biggest difference as far as how it rides. Uh, Canadian maple and then the, the trucks are different alloys. The wheels are different urethane mixtures. And I just fell in love with selling these products. I went to the, the college counselor's office the next day and changed all my classes to business because of that one experience. And so it sounds like you very similarly were taught a lesson or, or maybe you got a little bit of vision of what you could do through the skate shop. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. First, you know, first fact is anyone who ever works at a skate shop started out just hanging around and lurking at the skate shop. I think that's kind <laughs> of, a, that's the red thread that goes through for all of us. But yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, it was just the excitement of being around sports that I liked and then having the opportunity that I could make a little bit of scratch doing that. And, you know, being somebody who was an expert in what I love to do. And mm -hmm. that's, that extended from being within the, you know, the skates and bikes, you know, that knowledge, but then translated over to, all right, I'm figuring out how to put on events. I'm figuring out how to run things. I'm building scoring spreadsheets on my own, even though I don't know Excel very well. You know, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where the passion kind of leads you down that path. And yeah, being at the skate shop absolutely was the, the kickoff to it. That's awesome. So once you finished not making money with these events, where did you go to make a little money? What was that next step? All right. So I did a long stint as a uh, competition director for the X Games, as well as uh, for the uh, Gravity Games that were about, out back then. Yeah. And as a competition director, you know, I was working as an independent contractor that would put together the teams of people that would actually manage each of the competitions. So, you know, working amongst different sports, as well as some of the times I worked directly for ESPN, managing the competition directors for other sports. So did a long stint with that and had some real cool projects that were sprinkled in between, you know, did a lot of action sports stuff, a lot of tours. At one point had started a company where I was building up competition teams for myself. Cool. So with Mixed Ride Media back in the day, we did that for a while and had contracts with some of the major uh, competition organizations. And then the bulk of it was, you know, took a, took a little vacation to do this event called the 2002 Olympic Winter Games. <laughs> so I worked as an associate producer. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it was cold. 
something like that. That's about all you need to know. <laughs> but where uh, was that one located? Know, that was in Salt Lake City. Was that the first? Was that the first one with snowboarding with with Sean White, or was that a different one? No, that was uh, that was later on. Okay, but yeah, Salt Lake City though was oh gosh, it was amazing. It was really cool. I got to live there for nine months and wow. we were working and grinding the whole time, but it was also really cool just to see that culture and also to see how those people rose to the challenge. And that, you know, that really ignited me. That really excited me to go after things in my career. And after that, I landed with ASA Entertainment, where I was the international competition director, as well as a director of partner events. So all of our demo tours, et cetera. Cool. So tell me, what is it about events specifically that just that that you love? Because you're such an expert. I've seen you in person do this and you just know everything backwards and forwards. Obviously, you have a very strong passion. But what is it about it that you're so passionate about? I think it really is that it's just this piece of the storytelling, but it's the part that is the most impactful in front of the consumer. So, you know, when we look at what goes into all of the different events, like when, you know, for instance, working with ASA or the X Games, et cetera. Those are platforms to be able to tell the story about a multitude of different brands, as well as, you know, the X Games has their own brand that we're telling the story about and that they've built up for many years. When I look at Red Bull, what really inspired me was so many different facets go into telling that story of that brand but it culminates with the actual event on site. It's the closest place that consumers can get to where they are truly inspired. Like there's a lot of, as everyone knows, Red Bull, so much video content that is just absolutely amazing. Like the moving images there, just second to none. But with an event, it's just such a different feel that it makes that can resonate so much more. And people feel like, okay, that's cool. You guys built an event when they don't realize that 90% of the work was the campaign behind it when they didn't know that I saw the event at the store. Oh, it creeped in as an advertisement online. Oh, I saw this news piece that was about this athlete that was in there. Like there's so many different Mm. facets to integrated marketing that people don't see. By the time it gets to the event, they're like, oh, I'm in love with it. And they don't realize that's because you've gone on five or six first dates, (laughs) you know, that's been, it's been put out there for you and you just haven't realized it yet. But right now, that was the goal was for you to fall in love with what you're seeing. So that part just really excites me, just really being able to deliver on what the consumer wants to be inspired by. Well, and when you talk about, you know, the consumer not necessarily realizing those things, but they're impacted by them. A lot of brands don't realize that either. Right. And so I, I know that you work with a lot of brands now. You do a lot of this integrated marketing and you know, talk a little bit about some of the very important steps that brands should be taking into consideration that maybe they're not always realizing um, things that you learned through your time at Red Bull and your other, your other roles there. Most important, you have to have an absolute vision of what that consumer takes away at the pinnacle moment of whatever campaign it is. You have to have a vision in your mind and know exactly what do you want them to feel? What do you want them to say? How do you want them to think? What do you want, you know, what do you want their facial expression to be? How do you want, what do you want them to tell their, their friends? How do you want them to act when they hit that pinnacle moment of it? And once you get that vision together, then you have to use that as your red thread that goes all the way through. Everything counts towards that because most Mm. of the times brands look at a lot of their campaigns as they look at it as kind of a list. You know, and it's like a list from top to bottom of let's just list out all the cool things that we can do with it. And that's not what it is. You have to list out here is exactly where we want to go. And it's a horizontal line that goes all the way across from the moment that we start seeding it so that the people can get that first date with said campaign mm-hmm. all the way through to where they're so enamored that they arrive on site and they're just like, oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. And it's, it's steps that build on top of each other. What would you say are some of the steps that brands miss the most? So you're going to have some brands that don't have a clue, right? And so I don't think these are the brands we're talking to, but we're talking to people who have a little bit of a clue. They're kind of halfway there, but like we're talking about, if you're building on stuff, if you miss a step, you're going to miss your customer. 
right? And you're not going to be able to hit that vision you have for them. What are some steps that you've seen brands miss pretty often that are pretty important that our audience can take away here? There's a couple of them. I mean, very first one is the very first people that you need to impress with this vision and make sure that they fully understand it and believe in it is your team. You have to go in and speak to your team in a way that is inspiring. Like you truly have to tell the pinnacle of the story to them, get them inspired. Then all the fluff afterwards is all about, I'm going to show you exactly how you're going to win with your own KPIs by helping us to achieve this common goal that we all have. Mm -hmm. Too many brands skip that part. A lot of times it's something where it's like, you know what? It wouldn't really be cool if we just did this. All right. Now we're going to do this. So we're going to do X, Y, Z, one, two, three. So, you know, John, I need you to do this. And Tina, I need you to do this. And, you know, that's not the way it works. It truly is. We're driving inspiration and we want to be able to deliver on what that story is to the brand. So mm-hmm. we have to make sure that everybody is bought in, understands it, and truly gets it. The next thing that we have to do is we have to stick with what that vision is and make sure that every red thread that we have pays back to it. But as a leader, you have to understand what everyone needs to accomplish in order to hit their own personal goals within their own department or KPIs. Integrated marketing is not just pulling them in. It's also about delivering on your promise to uh, that they will succeed, your promise of success to the, everyone on your team. So a lot of times those two steps are so important. And a lot of times that's missed. You know, a lot of times that sets you up for, I don't want to say failure. You could still have a decently successful campaign, but there's a campaign. And then there's also where you absolutely move people to where they're walking away. Like, holy crap, that was incredible. Absolutely. I I love your perspective there on the internal team, as well as the customer and the brand. Because as I was listening to you talk about it, or I was kind of thinking before you explained it, I was thinking, okay, what's he going to say about the consumer and about the brand? And then you start talking about the internal team. It's so important to remember because those are the people who are going to execute the vision. And if they're not number one stoked, and if they're not clear on what that is and how to do it, and they're not empowered by you, the leader, then the brand and the consumer isn't going to re- receive the things that we're hoping they will. Is that accurate? Totally. That's 100%. Like, um, here's a good example. If let's say if it's a certain project and it doesn't even have to be an event, it can be any sort of campaign type project. It's rolling out a new product. It's you know, anything across the board. If I'm speaking with whoever is directing the digital marketing efforts on there. And that person isn't as bought in as a, and as excited about how this campaign is going to roll out and what that consumer interface is going to be when they get there. Then when they're shopping it out to agencies to be able to activate it, they're already off on the brief because yeah. what their, their brief is going to be about a bunch of numbers and everything Rather than like, okay, cool. You know what? Digital agency. I'm so excited about this. I'm ready to roll this out. Like here, I want you to see what our vision is first. We got plenty of numbers and everything we can talk about, but just watch this. Yeah. And they roll it out and they pull the digital agency in and then you get that digital agency bought into, I want to deliver on that feeling for the consumer, you know? Mm. Therefore, delivering on that, it's going to look like this all the way through. And if we're doing everything correct, the numbers should work out that we'll be able to you know, exceed our goals. And that's the most simple, that's the simplest thing because I mean, from, a, from digital marketing, it truly is a numbers game. It is all about you know, how can we cast the net and build that funnel so that we end up delivering on the conversion at the right amount. However, if you are casting that net with a super fly ass reel, <laughs> you know, then that's how you're really going to bring it in. Right. And I think that part is where so many agencies and, and brands miss an opportunity to, to achieve excellence. Mm, super interesting. You know, clearly just the way you're talking, I know you personally, so I know you're a great leader, a great motivator of your team, but I think people listening to this are going to, are going to understand that very quickly here. I know you're a big believer in the power of we. So can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, 100%. Like all of us are exceptional in one way or another. We understand that. But we're all exceptional in different ways. And 
as a leader, we, we have to make sure that we find out not only what makes people exceptional in terms of what they do work-wise, but what makes them feel exceptional when they're doing it? What makes them fulfilled? You know, what really gets people inspired by, by doing certain types of work or working in a certain way? And then we have to manage with that. We have to make sure that we take where this person's going to get fulfillment. Let's truly help them craft their job around that to where they're going to hit it 100%. Like they're totally going to crush it. But then they're also really enjoying what they're doing. And that they're looking to us, you know, not only as, you know, not only as a, a guide or a mentor, but they're also looking to us as, you know, a great cheerleader, you know, mm. somebody who is really helping them to be, get along with it. You know, everyone has their struggles. And when people struggle, we try to give them what we can to keep, keep them on track. But just because they're on track doesn't mean that we can't still push them to go faster right. and, you know roll their windows down, let the hair blow. Like, yeah, we really have to do everything we can so that people enjoy the ride because that's when they're going to keep it going, you know, keep it going fast. And I really do think that the power of we, once we get like that and everybody is firing on all of those cylinders, we all understand what each other is doing. We know how we, we know how to do it. And when we're in sync like that, I see opportunities for this person's department that's cross over here. I yeah. see ways to optimize this campaign over here. I might see something that could end up being a bad challenge, you know, and have some foresight to it that, hey, group, let's talk about it. Even though this isn't in my department, I know that it's in your department and it's something that down the road, it could derail it. So if we have the ability to work as one just centralized hive unit and we, we trust the person that is leading us and giving us the direction on where we're going with it and has that vision for the end, we're all shooting for the same thing and we'll be able to achieve a lot more. I love that. I've experienced as an employee working in a big company where it was square peg, round hole, and, you know, the leadership and my manager was saying, John, you need to fit into this mold, a mold that I didn't fit into. And then I've also been at another company where they said, the the way you do your job is the way you're going to be more successful. Like the way you figure out how to do your job I remember I went on my on, onboarding with a company. I said, hey, I get a lot of opportunities to do speaking on panels and podcasts and stuff like that. Is there anything I shouldn't say or 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 anything I should stay away from? Do you not want me doing podcasts, whatever? And my boss said, John, the filter for you to understand what you should be doing is what makes you most successful in your job. True. And so, t- boy, number one, because I was empowered, right? I was so mm-hmm. thrilled because I was like, oh my gosh, I like doing these things, right? We like doing things we're good at. Now, also, it was up to me to figure out, you know, my job was business development. So I was like, how can I bring the most opportunities in a way that's natural for me? Well, I'm kind of a, I'm a content creator. I'm, I do a lot of content podcasts. I, I have a knack for getting a feature or something like that. And so what I realized is like, oh, if I can have this big website do a store in our company, that creates marketing materials for me that then I can share. That's just how I naturally figured out how to do that job in my own strengths. Somebody else in that same role could be just as effective, if not more so, and do it completely different in a way that fits their skill set. And it sounds like that's something that you figured out from a management perspective is Almost let somebody figure out what their job is under kind of an umbrella of guidance. Mm -hmm. And then the weaknesses that that person has through hiring, make sure that someone is complimentary to them. Like if you got a big picture person, I'm not the most detailed person. Let's be honest. So (laughs) (laughs) come on. (laughs) So when it comes to, you know, filling everything out in Salesforce or all these little teeny tiny details or, you know, some people are great at that. I need somebody who's, I'm a little bit more out there front of the crowd. And I need somebody who's a little more, who enjoys being kind of in the background, very detailed to make sure that they're showing up my weaknesses and I'm showing up theirs. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. You always, you have to put your team together with complimentary people to how you operate. You know, you have to like, it's, it's, 
it's essential, you know, like, cause yeah. everyone, like you said, everybody's different. Everybody's different in every facet of the way that they operate and manage, manage their roles. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about your, your time at Red Bull, because I think a lot of the audiences can say, oh my gosh, like this guy was at Red Bull for 10 years. Number one, how did you get there? What did you learn? What, what was it like working for a marketing company that happens to sell beverages? I want to hear a little bit about that and understand how that has shaped you and inspired you with what you do today. Okay. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it's, it's inspired me because man, the people, the people is what it is. And it's, it's not just the internal people that I worked with. It's partners that I got a chance to collaborate with like yourself it's the people that I was able to meet in market that truly were fans of, they were fans of all the different things that we do and the super fans, you know, Red Bull, when I first got in, I could tell you the first, you know, first six months, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Never been in a place that the pace moves so fast wow. with so many different moving parts, but doesn't have a lot of infrastructure to support it. You know, they truly are like, you know, the greatest asset that you have is your mind and you have the ability to juggle all of these different things and be able to figure it out. So wow. it wasn't like it was a sink or swim sort of situation because I had an excellent boss and, you know, he was just like, you know, I didn't bring you in to be a master marketer when you walk in the door. I brought you in because you know how to get things done and you actually know how to manage these different pieces that go into everything, mm. but you will learn to become an expert marketer as we go. So it was a little bit terrifying and intimidating, you know, going in at first, but had a couple of projects, got some good wins and then had, you know, the, the first project that I did was the Human Express where Carl Meltzer ran from Sacramento to St. Joseph, Missouri. And it was kind of like, all right, you're in, here you go. <laughs> you know, you're wow. following this ultra runner across the country and trying to figure out how to tell a really good story and working with the communications team and the, uh, the high performance team where they're literally measuring like what is his body output every yeah. day and, you know, all the different stuff. And it was just so overwhelming. But once we got past those first couple of events and I hit my stride, then it was something where I was really getting to understand, all right, you know, first lesson is working with the agencies and truly making sure that we're in sync, you know, making sure that yeah. it is something like, you know, it's not that you are something that I just hired. You are a part of my team. Now we are in it mm. together. This vision that we all have, like everything across the board, we all need to share in this and be able to do it. And, you know, there was a project with Red Bull Game Breakers that there was an absolutely emotional end to what happened for the national championships of it in Dallas. And it was something that I saw that that was that culmination moment that I'd spoken about earlier. And the, but it was a project that was very lean in terms of how many people were on it. So it was only a few people that were there. And it really just, it started to grow when we started, you know, we put forth a plan that, you know, I was very happy to be a part of and be the person that was driving behind it. But put forward a growth plan to keep up with Dallas's population growth, mm. where we wanted to introduce large scale events and projects in Dallas. So that was something where I went from having teams of where it's like, okay, you know, like my downline on this project is, you know, 15, 20 people to where my downline on projects were, you know, a lot of them were over a hundred. Wow. And working with those teams, that's when I really understood that, the buy-in and really making sure that they understand that red threat, that red thread, making sure they had that vision, demanding that they were 100% in the know about all the facets of the project. They knew yeah. cross-functionally what people were working on. They knew where those opportunities were and everything. But most important was they freaking had fun and that they grew. They developed yeah. They learned something. They inspired mm. themselves. They surprised themselves. They were always coming up with ways that we can go bigger and ways cool. that I could do my job better. That was, that was what really inspired me for the first half of my career there. And that makes for a really fun work environment when people are, I mean, it's a lot, it's very fulfilling when you're growing, when you're learning, you're working with a team where fun is an aspect of it. And so you're just going to get better work from people when you're, when, you know, those things dictate better work from people. 
it also extends out to the relationships and everything. Because when we do those projects like that and we inspire people and it's infectious, you end up having things like what happened with our flu talk in 2013 that we started out and we pitched the project to them. And we were like, you know, to the city of Irving and we're like, you know, we really want to get you guys on board and everything. And it was just the very first pitch was a story. And within a few weeks, they were like, you know what, we could actually put event messaging on everybody's water bill in the city. And we were like, huh? And they were like, yeah. And we're like, yeah. (laughs) They were like, absolutely. And then, you know, at one point, somebody on my team was like, you know, the mayor seems like she's really cool and upbeat. We should have her skydive into the press conference to announce the project. And I was like, you're crazy. And I love it. And let's bring it up. And they were like, yeah, we should. Yeah, she's a friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She did it. So that's that's kind of where we get to the point where people just start reaching outside the limits to figure out how we can do it. Wow, that's incredible. So, man, yeah. I'll tell you, Flugtag, I think, is the coolest event I have ever heard of in my life. When I first of all, I thought, what is the liability on this thing? We have people make making <laughs> flying machines that won't fly and you're pushing them off a pier into the ocean It's the sickest thing I've heard of in my life and super, super cool. How did that generate any buy-in? Like I can imagine that being pitched a number of times and people being like, nope, we don't want people (laughs) drowning in the ocean, Jason. Terrible idea. Were you involved with the process or were you around that process of it getting adopted? Oh, absolutely. So not for the original project, of course, but yeah. went through the full gamut of it. You know, I, I, I led feasibility for it in Dallas when we were bringing it in. And we looked in Dallas, we looked in Houston, we looked in Austin, we looked in San Antonio, we looked everywhere where there could possibly be a body of water that fit. Yeah. And Irving ended up being the one that, you know, thankfully from anyone who went to the event, it was in a spot where we had a lot of highway access and you know, a lot of parking because we got like 90,000 people out there. Wow. But the feasibility of it is truly, and this is that part that's all the work that goes into it that's outside of the event. We're doing water tests. We're doing EPA tests. We're, uh, we're doing depth. We're looking to see what the rules are for having motorized um, vehicles out there, uh, motorized you know, on water vehicles. We're looking at parking. We're looking at traffic flow, patterns, all the different things, resonance, how many p- different people are there. We're looking at how is the boardwalk built that's around Lake Carolyn? Can Good it point. support the platform? Can we have all of those different pieces? Is there anything that we need to look at that we can't get it? numerous landowners, being able to have hotels to support it. So there's so many different things that go into it before getting there. And then once we do that, if we put together the right plan, and this is for you know this side of the team, it would be myself plus the operations vendors that we hire. Yeah. If we put together the right plan and we still, we go in to talk about operations and how we're going to build this event. And we talk about engineering specs and all of those things. And the very first thing that we do is we lead off with the same damn inspiring story about what we want consumers to feel. We, get, uh, we have to get them in that moment so that they feel like, I want to be a part of delivering that because that is inspiring. Wow. You know, that's really cool. And you're going to bring a whole lot of people to my city. Mm. So every single, you know, every single meeting starts with the right type of video the right rollout for people that are seeing it for the first time to make sure that they're bought in just because it's, you know, the police chief doesn't mean that the police chief can't be inspired and excited about what he's seeing on the screen and the story that he's hearing coming out of my big fat mouth while he's drinking a Red Bull, <laughs> you know, like that's, right. that's all a part of it. <laughs> yeah. There's what I'm taking away from that is consistent messaging. Number one. And number yep. two Regardless of the role, you know, the parking attendant, the hotel where you might think this guy doesn't need to know or he wouldn't care or she wouldn't care. No, what you're saying here is make sure that you're selling this vision to absolutely everybody. And sometimes I guess there's probably a touch point where that police chief or that hotel manager or whoever is involved, related to somebody, friends with somebody who's an even closer tie in that word of mouth got to them and made a big significant impact that wouldn't otherwise. Is that accurate? 100%, you know, and 
whether it's that that person is a friend who we want to be inspired by it, or that person is a gatekeeper to something that we need in order to make the, the event a reality. Right. You know, either way, we need to make sure that it's there. Like I have some of my best friends that I have from Dallas are people that worked at restaurants that were close to wherever we were doing an event because I would always tell my team, nope, you're not driving back downtown. We're going to go have, we're going to go have lunch or dinner after this meeting, or we're going to host a meeting with yeah. the people who that we're going in, the, that we're going into their neighborhood. We want them to feel a part of it yeah, and build those relationships. And I've been at some of those with you and it's super cool. And you, you treat, <laughs> yes. you know, the wait staff great and you tip them well. And you, I mean, being part of a cool brand too, they're like, oh, you guys are with Red Bull. That's cool. Then they find out, oh, you're cool people. Then you're getting more brand buy-in. And I guarantee you the next time that person goes to 7-Eleven or Circle K or somewhere to grab a beverage, higher likelihood that they're going to grab a Red Bull because they had a great experience with you. 100%. 100%. It's, it's, it's something I think that that's a big part, like going back to what you asked earlier. It's another part that a lot of brands miss or yeah. agencies that are representing brands. You know, how can you be an ambassador and an advocate and, you know, just really support what that message is on or off yeah. the clock. It doesn't take any more energy, <laughs> you know, like, of course there's yeah. times where it's like, all right, I just want to go in grab, grab something. It's a bite to eat, you know, like just chillax by myself. But, you know, most of the time it's super easy to still be an evangelical for it. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I know that Red Bull was a really impactful piece of your career, but there's another uh, fork in the road that was very impactful and more recent and that's Moonshot Collective. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's definitely, I was at a point when in my career, I hadn't maxed out what I could do at Red Bull, but Red Bull was changing. And mm. Red Bull was something where, you know, agree or disagree that uh, the company was going in a different direction that a lot of people like myself, there wasn't much opportunity for us to, I guess the best way is, an old dog can learn new tricks, but a lot of times people are just looking for a new dog, <laughs> you know? So, you know, and it was something where, you know, the exit from it, no regrets, you know, I decided that uh, rather than continue to keep doing the roles that I was working in, I decided that it was time to take a break and, you know, really be able to find what my passion was. So in December of December of uh, 31st, 2019, that was my last day with Red Bull. And when I departed, a very, very good friend and mentor of mine, aka a go-go man, he asked a very, very good question of me, which was, when's the last time you had more than two weeks off? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, you know, like, I mean, you know, my wife and I, we take a nice vacation every year and, you know, normally like for the holidays and, all, and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about when was the last time that you had more than two weeks off that it didn't involve you were coming back to jump into the next thing? Mm. And he said, I don't know. When, whenever you weren't making money with that megaphone and the <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so, you know, I told him, I, I, I told him, honestly, I said, I don't know. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I know you don't know. I'm telling you that I need you to tell me. And I was like, oh, dude, I don't know how I'm going to. He's like, no, I'm being serious. So I just started counting back and looking at it. And I was like, okay, when I was in between this skate shop and this skate park, and I was working as a freelance person for ESPN and took some time off then, I was like, 1997. And he's like, dude, your wife and you take care of yourself. She just started a business, everything, like, take some time off. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? I'll take a few, I'll take a few weeks off. He's like, no, 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 no. I mean, some time meaning like at least six months. And he's like, you know, get out there and really just get yourself back to the, you know, get yourself back and take those lessons that you've learned and also how much growth you've had Wow. and figure yeah. out what you're going to put it to for better use rather than going in to doing the same thing. What's your next level of growth? So I did that and I realized first and foremost, I missed Red Bull. It was a, it was a tough breakup. It was, I it bet. was something where I was like, you know, it'd been a part of my life. And so, so much of it was a part of my social construct that I missed it. And 
I was looking for something to kind of replace that. And right about the same time, another great mentor of mine, Ravi Rajkumar, he had said, hey, I think you should talk to Perry and myself about you know, possibly becoming a part of our professional group. So hmm. I did. And within the first week, just uh, the way that we kind of dissected what my intellectual process is, you know, if we, we dissected, like, what are my instincts and how I act? What are the reasons behind why I am the way I am? And yeah. why can I turn that into a superpower that drives maximal fulfillment, but also it's my process that gets the best results for my clients. And within two weeks, I knew that I had replaced what I felt like I lost. You know, it wow. was something that was just so, so poignant. And it's been ever since then, I mean, the organization is my guiding light, really doing so much good work now and really understanding what the process was. You know, before I had had somebody that was, you know, somebody when I was looking for an opportunity to advance had told me that, and I didn't get the role and had told me that the, you know, you got to figure out what makes you special because just being a nice person that people like, you know, that, that doesn't make you special. That's not a skill. Mm, interesting. And I was just, you know, I was taken aback and I was kind of hurt and everything. And what the Moonshot Collective has taught me is that that observation that he had was wrong. I have the ability to inspire and to, to drive belief with the people that work with me. Mm. Also, the, the way for them to trust me is very uncanny. On the flip side, I make a mentor, mentee, leader, you know, leader and, you know, a group, I make a pact with them that I will lead you to success and do everything I possibly can to do that. Wow. And it's unspoken, but I have the ability to translate that over. And that is what makes me special, you know, that people can follow and can be confident that they'll get the results and that they will perform better. So it just, it took kind of dissecting, you know, what's upstairs to be able to understand that that's truly what it means. That's really neat. I'm, what I'm hearing from you is a lot of, uh, that has to do with mentorship. Number one is you have some great mentors, some people to, who are pouring into your life and giving you just priceless insights to really help you. So I think one of the takeaways here, I, I've experienced this over the last year as well, a mentor, a coach somebody who mm -hmm. can be beyond yourself and, and give you pointers, things to think about, ways to understand things that you couldn't do yourself. The other thing that I'm hearing, and I've experienced this myself, is when you're good up here, the work flows. And oh, you're a lot more productive. You're going to reach your potential, but it, you, could, you could be the most capable person with your skill set, with your experience. But if your head's not right, if you're having a bunch of issues in your mind, if that's not fixed, no matter how far you go, you're never going to reach your potential. Yeah. And the thing too, I'd love to touch on before we end here is I'd like you to give some, some nuggets to our audience, people who don't have six months to reset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you had a really interesting ex ex experience here. You were with the company for 10 years. That was your identity. That was yeah. probably your identity in, in so many ways that I'm not even aware of, but you know, LinkedIn, your connections, Hey, it's Jason. He's with Red Bull. I've experienced this when you're no longer with a big brand and was everybody calling because of your name or were they calling you because you had a big, a big name next to your, your name? But can you give a, a few nuggets of knowledge here for our audience on when you're resetting your professional life? You don't have six months. Maybe you've got a yeah. few weeks. What are some things that we can do to, to take a great step into the next chapter? I think the most important thing is to understand that our careers are cyclical. And not saying that it's just one big circle, you know, one big revolution and then our career is over. Our career goes through phases. And as we're going around that cycle, we're starting off that it's like we're going in like, holy crap, what am I into? I'm not sure. You're starting to find your stride and you're getting inspired by the growth. You're hitting your stride. 
and you were like, okay, firing on all cylinders and I feel great and my team is great, everything. And then you get to the point where you want more. And mm-hmm. what people have to realize is that would be when you get to that point that you are desiring more and you're getting a little bit apathetic, you know, you're getting a little bit, you're just kind of like going through the motions a little bit because it becomes so easy to you and people have depended on you and they're doing the same things. Yeah. That's not the time when you decide to make a change, decide to make a change and start looking at where those changes are, whether it's a new position or more challenging, a career choice or whatever you hit that as you're growing or when you are firing on all cylinders, don't Mm. wait until it settles in that you're like, okay, it's, you know, I'm kind of bored of this. I need to go for something else. I was just going to say really quick. It's, it's probably a lot harder to restart or take that step when you get comfortable. Oh, totally. Right. If you're, if you're used to grinding and then you're hitting on all cylinders and then you're really hitting your stride, you're still accelerating. And so at that point, number one, you're going to need a little time to find the next thing, number one. Mm -hmm. But also, you're still grinding, you're still hustling. So, Because when you go to that next thing, it's going to require a lot of grinding and hustling because it's new, so it's hard. But when you're comfortable and you're relaxed, man, it's it's really hard to get back up off the couch and start running again. 100%. And you always have to be thinking of that because, like, for instance, you know, my situation, the reason that I left... I performed exemplary at my position and my results were great and everyone enjoyed working with me. We just restructured four times while I was there though. So eventually Mm. within those restructures, there was going to be a time where I'd get caught out. And with a company that restructures that much, you know, you have to constantly be thinking of what's the next thing. And I I missed on that part. The second thing is that's super important is mentorship and we don't always like, we always have it wrong that the mentor is, I need to look up to somebody who knows a lot more than me. You're going to have those and you have to have those. Okay. It's, it's part of it. But peer mentorship, mm. peer support, being able to give somebody a different set of eyes at the way that they're looking at things. You know, when I talk about peer mentors, there's some people that are incredibly successful that are in the Moonshot Collective that turn to me for advice on ways to solve problems. At the same time, they give me advice on ways for me to be able to solve problems or seize opportunities or be able to build. And I didn't learn that until I joined this group. Peer mentorship is so important because you have to have people that have different looks at the spectrum than you do. Man, that's a great perspective. That's honestly something that I just learned from you. So thank you for sharing that. When you look at peers, I think something to recognize a friend I used to work with at GameStop said, John, nobody knows your common sense. So that's one thing, <laughs> meaning the things that you naturally know because of your life experience, like the things yeah. I know about, well, a lot of things, but, you know, skateboarding, esports, marketing, yep. traveling across the country on a road trip, you know, other people, not everybody knows those things. I know them and they feel natural because that's been my life experience. I think it's a great point that you made even if there's somebody who just who appears to be so much further beyond you or a lot smarter or more successful than you, yeah, they don't know everything you know. They know different stuff. And so you can they can be looking at you the same way you're looking at them and they're saying, Oh, Jason knows all this stuff about event management, or in the way Jason inspires, I really want to learn how to communicate. I really want to learn how to pull together a team like that. And so I think if we can not let ourselves be intimidated by the success of others and recognize that we are all unique and we all have something to offer, then we're going to start pour, pouring out more, which is more fulfilling. And that's more beneficial to the broader community as well. 100%. Like, you know, don't get mad at somebody's success. Help them grow it. Because then you will grow along the way and you will pick up some support from them as well. You know, and we really have to also look at different areas that that have a need. My, I like to say that I'm in the business of people development and storytelling, and it's not agnostic to sports or even beverages. The majority of my income right now is in diversity, equity, and inclusion coaching for companies, Mm. you know, because 
there is a lot to be said. You know, a lot of people are like, okay, well, did you go to school for that? Or, you know, I am a black man in America who has worked for the majority white companies. Right. I understand what it's like. I'm a black person in America who has had to, you know, endure my, my, you know, overwhelming share of racism. And that's not to say that I blame everybody for it. That's not to say that I'm mad, but I'm saying everyone, let's just acknowledge it and let's figure out the ways to fix it so that our kids and the kids after them don't have to work on it. I can do that with the skills that I possess and I can deliver it in a way that is going to inspire people to change. So I think it's Mm. a matter of really having your eyes open to be able to see like what truly is my superpower outside of what I do for a trade and be able to uh, drive that. Yeah, I have a friend who she was on the podcast as well, Gabrielle Boucher. She she wrote a book with her husband called The Purpose Factor. And they have a company called The Purpose Company. And she shared with me, she said, I help people find their purpose all the time. This is her business. She said, mo- more, awesome. more often than not, someone's purpose is what they've overcome themselves and helping other people do it. And so what you just said about equality and equity you know, fighting racism in the workplace and things of that nature, you've lived that. And so now you're helping companies and people overcome that. And I think that's incredible. Yeah, I love it. It's incredibly fulfilling. And it's, it's inspiring to see people who are labeled as like, oh man, they're absolutely horrible. They don't understand to see that aha moment when they're like, holy crap, I totally get it. And I never Mm. looked at it that way, you know, and what can I do to help? And it's like, You've acknowledged it. You can put put in work or you can clear the way and support the people that are trying to drive the change. I'm not sure. asking you to do all the work, but just now that you've acknowledged it, we've already won. We've already gotten somewhere. So hmm. I, I can imagine that's incredibly fulfilling. Yeah, it is. Well, we've reached the end of our podcast here. We talked a lot about inspiration. You you've inspired me in this episode. We, <laughs> you inspire me every time we talk, man. I we got off the phone. Sometimes we'll talk for a few hours and I'm just like, let's go. I'm so ready to, yeah. <laughs> to grind and build some strategy and like do some new yeah. stuff I've never done before. And I, I can just feel that I, I think our audience is going to be inspired by this episode as well. So before I let you go, will you let our audience know a few ways to get a, a hold of you in ways that'd be beneficial to you? Yeah, absolutely. I do a few different things, you know. So LinkedIn is the easiest way to get a hold of me for anything professional wise. So, you know, not only diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also integrated marketing and just all around thought leadership and seeing how we can make people the best they can be. So that's one spot of the moonshotcollective.com. That is where our professional group is. Uh, we're going through a branding refresh. So, you know, stay tuned going to be launching our new website and everything cool. soon. But it's something where if you're looking for that sort of just that group to latch into that is all about support development and really pushing yourself forward, I definitely say, check us out and just, you know, let's have a conversation. There's no, there's no obligation or anything, but, you know, see if it's something that could be for you. That's another spot. And then on the side, you know, when I'm, you know, got the Clark Kent glasses on and everything, I really love to barbecue garden and travel on points and miles around the world. So my Instagram is kind of entertaining sometimes. So just Instagram at J. Cool. Well, I'll definitely be checking those out. Our audience will as well. Man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to have another conversation. Uh, I think everyone's going to get a lot out of this. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, brother. It's good to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's another one in the books for the DLC Drop Podcast. Our guest, Jason Hines. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 